If you lived in a certain working class part of Houston in the early 1970s, you likely thought the Pied Piper had swept through the neighborhood known as the Heights, snatching up all the teenage boys. It seemed as though boys were running away in droves to join the era of peace and love, when kids were hitchhiking across the country in search of bigger dreams, better opportunities, and most of all, freedom. In the Heights, however, most of the parents knew their kids and suspected something more sinister. They, of course, were right. Extract from Dean Crowell, the true story of the Houston mass murders, hysterical serial killers, and murders by Jack Rosewood. This was Dean Crowell, and this is the good, the bad, and the pure evil. So Dean Arnold Coral was born December 24, 1939, in Fort Wayne, Indiana. His father was strict and his mother was more gentle and protective. His parents fought a lot and in 1946 they divorced. His father was drafted into the US Air Force and relocated to Memphis. To have her kids still have contact with him, Coral's mother sold the family home and moved to Memphis. Coral was said to be a shy, serious child who didn't mix well but was considerate of feelings. In 1950, his parents tried again and remarried. They moved to Pasadena, but in 1953, they divorced again. After this, Coral's mother married Jack West, a traveling clock salesman. They then moved to Vidor in Texas and started a candy company. 1954 until 1958, Coral attended high school and he was said to be to be well behaved, he got good grades, was a bit of a loner and played the trombone. He graduated in 1958 and the family moved to just outside Houston to have the family's business closer to the city. The new shaft was called Pecan Prince. In 1960, Coral lived with his grandmother to help her out after his grandfather had passed away. Here he had a close relationship with a girl and in 1962 this girl proposed to him, a proposal he turned down. Coral went back to Houston in 1962 to help with the family's candy business, which was now in Houston Heights. Later Coral moved in above the shop. In 1963 Coral's mother divorced West and she opened a new candy business, Coral Candy Company. In the first year, a male employee complained to Coral's mother that Coral was making sexual advances a bit too touchy-feely to him. To deal with the complaint, the employee was fired. On August 10, 1964, Coral was drafted to the U.S. Army. He was trained as a radio repairman. Official military records has his service unblemished, but Coral hated it. He wanted a hardship discharge, saying he was needed for his family business. The army granted the request and on June 11, 1965, he was given an honourable discharge. Coral is claimed to have told a few close friends after his release that while in the service, he realised he was gay. So back to Houston Heights he went, 
taking the role of Vice President of Coral Candy Company. Coral's stepfather still had the other business, Pecan Prince, so competition between the two was intense. In 1965, Coral Candy Company moved to 22nd Street across from the elementary school. Coral would give kids free candy and would be nicknamed the Candyman or the Pipe Piper. The company wasn't big and Coral would be a bit flirty with ma male teen employees. He also had a pool table out back where employees and local teens hung out. In 1967, Coral was 28 and he became friends with David Owen Brooks, who was 12. Brooks met Coral while socialising behind the candy shop. Coral and Brooks would take trips to South Texas beaches. He felt safe with Coral. He was the first male adult not to mock him. If Brooks needed money, Coral gave it to him. As the relationship grew, Brooks would see Coral as a dad or big brother figure. But soon Coral started crossing the line into a sexual relationship with Brooks. Coral would pay Brooks cash and gifts in return for sexual favours. Brooks came from a broken home. His parents were divorced and his father lived in Houston and his mother lived in Beaumont. 1970, the then 15-year-old Brooks dropped out of school and went to live with his mother. When he came to Houston to see his father, he would also visit Coral, who let him stay at his apartment any time he wanted. Later that year, Brooks came back to Houston for good, using Coral's apartment as his second home. By the time Brooks dropped from school, Coral's mother had a third marriage fail. She then moved to Colorado and shut the candy company. She would phone Coral often but never saw him again in person. With the candy company closed, Coral became an electrician for HL&P, or the Houston Lighting and Power Company. Here he tested electrical systems and worked here until the day he died. So from 1970 until 1973, Coral is known to have killed at least 28 teens. They were from the ages of 13 to 20, with majority being mid-teens. Most of the victims were abducted from Houston Heights, which was a low-income area in downtown Houston. In most abductions, Coral had help from Brooks and another teen called Elmer Wayne Henley. Many victims were friends of Brooks and Henley's. Others were acquaintances of Coral. Two of the victims, Billy Blotchy and Gregory Malley Winkle, were actual former employees of the Coral Candy Company. The victims were usually lured to Coral's car, told about a party or a lift. Then they were driven to Coral's home. Here they were piled with alcohol or dr drugs until they passed out, or they were tricked into handcuffs or grabbed by force. Basically anything in a state that they couldn't fight back. Then they were stripped naked, tied to Coral's bed or board that hung above the wall. Unable to move, they were sexually assaulted, beaten, tortured and strangled or shot. After this, the body was wrapped in plastic sheets and buried in a rented boat shed, a beach at Boulevard Pen uh, Peninsula, a woodland near Lake Sam Rayburn, or another beach in Jefferson County. 
Many times Carl got his victims to phone or write home to explain their disappearance, so the parents wouldn't grow concerned. Carl also kept his victims' keys as mementos. Coral's first known victim was Jeffrey Conan on September 25, 1970. Conan was hitch- uh, hitchhiking to his parents. It's believed Coral offered a lift and Conan accepted. Brooks would lead police to Conan's body after the crimes came out. He was buried at High Island Beach. Cause of death was asphyxiation from manual strangulation and a clot was found in his mouth. He was also naked, had bound hands and feet and was violated. Around the time Coral killed Conan, Brooks walked in on Coral sexually assaulting two teens who were tied to the bed. For his silence, Coral got Brooks a Corvette. After Coral told Brooks he had killed the teens, he offered Brooks $200 for any boys he could lure to the apartment. December 13, 1970, Brooks lured James Glass and Danny Yates from a religious rally in Houston Heights to Coral's apartment. Both teens were tied to the torture board, assaulted, strangled and buried in the boat shed Coral rented on November 17th. Six weeks after this, on January 30th, 1971, Brooks and Coral met brothers Donald and Jerry Waldrop, walking home. They were lured into Coral's van, taken to Coral's place, sexually assaulted and strangled, and then buried in the boat shed. March to May 1971, Coral adopted and killed three more. All three lived in Houston Heights and were buried at the boat shed. Each of these three knew Brooks. One of the three was Rondell Harvey. He was last seen March night cycling to Oak Forest where he worked at a gas station. He was killed by a shot to the head. The remaining two was David Hillegast and Gregory Malley Winkle. They were adopted together May 29, 1971 and killed. Parents of the victims were worried when their sons didn't return and launched a search. A boy would help pin posters of the missing. He was friends with Hillegast and he'd calmed the parents saying the boys would return an innocent reason for it all. This boy's name, the good volunteer, Elmer Wayne Henley. August 17, 1971, Coral and Brooks met Brooks' friend, Reuben Watson Haney, who was walking home. Brooks convinced Haney to come to the party at Coral's. Here, Haney was strangled and buried at the boat shed. September 1971, Coral moved still in the Heights, but a different apartment. Cora killed two more here. In the winter of 1971, Brooks introduced Elmer Wayne Henley to Coral. It's thought Henley was to be a victim, but for some reason Coral changed his mind and offered him the same deal as Brooks, $200 a boy he took to him. Coral told Henley he was in a white slavery ring which was operating in Dallas. Henley said he ignored the offer for a while but kept his friendship of sorts with Coral and would grow to see him as a big brother who he could confide in. Early 1972 is when Henley accepted the offer because of his family having money problems. The identity of the first victim Henley was involved in remains unknown. But in March 1972, 
Henley, Brooks and Coral met a friend of Henley's, Frank Argura. He was invited back to Coral's for some beer and weed. Frank followed in his ramble and at the house they smoked weed and at some point Frank picked up handcuffs that were on a table. Coral then jumped on Frank and cuffed him. Henley later claimed he didn't fully know what Coral was going to do to Frank. In 2010, he said in an interview, he tried to change Coral's mind, not to assault or kill Frank. But Coral wouldn't stop. He told Henley what he did to previous victims and that this was what he was going to do to Frank. Henley would help with Frank's burial at High Island Beach. Despite knowing what Cora was doing to lure the boys, Henley still took part in abductions and murders. On April 20th, Henley helped Coral and Brooks abduct Mark Scott. He knew both Brooks and Henley and was grabbed by force. He put up a strong fight, but when he saw Henley aiming a pistol at him, he gave up. He was tied to the torture board and was assaulted, tortured, strangled and buried at High Island Beach. Brooks said Henley was especially sadistic in murders. Henley helped Coral and Brooks in abducting Billy Blotch and Johnny Dillamon. Both were tortured and sexually assaulted. Then Henley strangled Billy, shot Johnny and buried them at High Island Beach. While living at Schooler Street, the tree lured William Rindinger. He was tied to the board, tortured and abused by Coral. Brooks was able to convince Coral to let Rindinger go. But later at Coral's, when Brooks entered the home, Henley knocked him out. Coral tied Brooks to the bed and assaulted him for hours, eventually being released. After this, Brooks still came back to Coral and still helped with abductions. Coral moved summer 1972 to Westcott Tower. Here he killed two more. There was Stephen Sickman. He was last seen July 19th, leaving a party in the Heights. And he was savagely attacked and strangled. He was buried in the boat shed. Then August 21st, Roy Bunton was abducted as he was walking to work. He was gagged, shot twice and buried at the boathouse. They were not named by Brooks or Henley as victims of Carol so it's thought he did them alone. They wouldn't be identified as Coral's victims until, until 2011. October 2nd, 1972, Henley and Brooks came across J. Simonou and Richard Hembry. The pair were walking to Hembry's home. They were lured into Brooks' Corvette and taken to Coral's apartment. At some point that evening, Simonou phoned his, his mother. He spoke to just one word to her, Mama, and then the phone cut off. Next day, Henley accidentally shot Hembry. Hours later, boat boys were strangled and buried in a common grave in the boat shed. The next month, Willard Branch was, went missing hitchhiking. He was known to Coral and Henley. His body would be found buried in the boat shed. November 15th, Richard Kepner from the Heights went missing. He was strangled and buried at High Island Beach. A total of 10 or at least 10 teens were murdered from February to November 1972. Five were buried at Highland Beach and five at the boat shed. January 20th, 1973, Coral moved to Wirt Road. Just two weeks after the move, Coral killed Joseph Lyles. 
March 7th, Coral moved to 2020 Lamar Drive, an address his father had left in Pasadena. June 1973, Coral's killing went into overdrive. June 4th, Henley and Coral adopted William Lawrence. Three days of torture ended when Lawrence was strangled. He was buried at Lake Sam Rayburn. Two weeks later, Raymond Stanley Blackburn was abducted. He was strangled and buried at Lake Sam Rayburn. July 6th, Henley started classes at Coach's Driving School. Here he became friends with Louis Garcia. July 7th, Garcia phoned his mother to, st to tell her he was staying overnight in a friend's. Garcia was shot and bled out in Coral's bath and then buried at Lake Sam Reburn. July 12th, John Sellers was bound, shot and buried at High Island Beach. In July 1973, Brooks married his pregnant fiancée. So for the moment, Henley became Coral's number one helping in abductions and murder. Three from the Heights happened from July 19th until the 25th. These victims were Michael Blanche, who was a brother of a past victim, Billy Blanche. Michael was last seen July 19th leaving for a haircut. He was strangled and buried at Lake Sam Rayburn. The remaining two were Charles Cobble and Marty Ray Jones. They were abducted July 25th. The pair were buried by Henley in the boat shed. August 3rd, 1973, Cora's last victim, James Staunton Dremala. James was tied to the board, sexually assaulted, tortured and strangled. He also was buried in the boat shed. So August 7th, Henley, now 17, invited Tim Cordell Curley to a party at Coral's home. Curley was supposed to be Coral's next victim. Brooks wasn't about at the time. So Henley and Curley were at the home sniffing paint fumes and drinking. At midnight, the pair left and they went to Houston Heights. They got out of the car to go to Curley's home. Across the road, an argument was erupting. Rhonda Lewis Williams was limping from a sprained ankle and was badly beaten by her drunken father. The boys offered her a safe place with them in Coral's apartment. So she went with them. At about 3 a.m., the three got back to Coral's. Coral, who had been waiting for the boys, was livid that Henley took a girl to the house. Henley explained what had happened and looked, to have, and looked to have calmed Coral. At least he thought he did. Coral offered alcohol and weed and the tree began smoking and drinking. Two hours later, the tree, Henley, Curly and Williams were passed out. Henley awoke on his stomach as Coral snapped cuffs on him. His ankles were bound and mouth was gagged. The other two, Curly and Williams, were also bound, gagged and lying on the floor with Curly naked. Coral noticed Henley was awake and so removed the gag. Henley tried so hard to plead with Coral, but Coral wasn't having it. He kept repeating the anger he felt that Henley took a girl back and that now he was going to kill all of the tree. Coral then repeatedly kicked Henley in the stomach. He lifted Henley and dragged him to the kitchen. 
Carl grabbed a gun and put it against Henley's stomach and threatened to kill him right there. Somehow Henley calmed Carl and promised to help Carl with all if he was released. After a lengthy discussion, Carl agreed. So now Carl and Henley tied Curly and Williams to the torture board. Carl handed a knife to Henley and ordered him to cut Williams' clothes off. He ordered Henley to assault her and torture her while he, Carl, did the same to Curly. By this time, both Williams and Curly were awake and had heard all of this. Feeling the pressure, Henley asked Carl if he could take Williams into another room, but Carl ignored him. Something snapped in Henley and he grabbed Carl's gun, screaming at him that he's gone far enough. Carl walked towards Henley, taunting him to do it. Kill me, he yelled. Every step Coral took towards Henley, Henley took two back. One final taunt, you won't do it. And Henley fired. He hit Coral in the forehead, but Coral kept coming. Two more shots fired would hit Coral's shoulder. Coral then ran from the room and Henley fired three more times, hitting him in the back. This had Coral slide down the hall wall and died. Once Coral was dead, Henley untied Curly and Williams. They all got dressed and talked about what to do. Henley wanted to leave, forget it all happened, but Curly, he wanted the cops. Henley agreed and they called for help. At 8.24am on August 8, 1973, the call came in to Pasadena Police. Henley blurted down the line, I just killed a man. He gave the address and the tree waited on the porch. When the police arrived, Henley told them he made the call and Coral was inside, dead. The police took the gun which Henley had and placed the three teens in squad cars. In custody, Henley told the story, explaining what he did was in self-defence. Williams and Curly's stories backed up Henley's. During deeper questioning, Henley shouted out several were killed. Henley explained that the past three years, how he and Brooks got boys for Coral and how Coral assaulted, tortured and killed every single boy. Henley gave a statement saying he believed the boys he abducted were being sold to a Dallas organization for homosexual acts, possibly being killed. But he soon realized it was Coral there were only one doing the killings. Henley admitted to helping in abductions and murders and even took part in the torture of six to eight victims. The police at first weren't believing him. They thought Coral's murder was a drug-fueled fight that got out of hand and the other claims were drug visions. But when Henley started to name names such as Cobble, Hillegast and Jones, the police started to take it more serious. They found things in Coral's rooms that were strange, like the torture board, handcuffs, rope and plastic sheeting. Coral's van outside, the police found more rope, a rug with stains and a wooden crate with air holes. A similar crate was found in the backyard, with this crate in the backyard also included human hair. Henley agreed to go with police to the boat shed. Inside was ha- um, a half-stripped stolen car, a kid's bike, a big iron drum, water containers, sacks of lime, and a bag full of teen clothes. 
two prison trustees began digging and soon found the first body. More would be unearthed in different stages of de decomposition. Most bodies were wrapped in thick clear plastic sheets. Some were shot while others were strangled. When the eighth body was recovered at the boat shed, the investigation was stopped. On August 8th, Brooks went with his father and presented himself at the station. Here he gave a statement denying any involvement, but admitted he knew Coral and knew he sexually assaulted and killed two teens in 1970. The morning of August 9th, Henley gave a written statement of all he and Brooks did. Henley admitted to killing about nine victims and helped Coral strangle the others. He said only three Brooks didn't take part in. Henley went with police to Lake Sam Rayburn. Two bodies were found close to the dirt road. In the Coral's family lakeside log cabin, the police found a torture board, shovels, lime and more plastic sheeting. On August 9th, another nine bodies were found at the boathouse. That evening, Brooks caved, giving a full confession. This time, he said he was present at the killings and burials, but denied directly being involved in the murders. Brooks agreed to go with police to High Island Beach to help with the search for bodies. On August 10th, Henley went again to Lake Sam Rayburn. Two more bodies were found. In the afternoon, Henley and Brooks went to High Island Beach, leading police to two more bodies. August 13th, again at High Island Beach, four more bodies were found, totaling 27, now making it the worst killing spree in US history at the time. It would only be surpassed in 1978 by John Wayne Gacy, who said he was influenced by Coral's Houston mass murders. So the family of the victims were highly critical to the police who had been so quick to say the victims were runaways. By May 1974, 21 victims were identified. All but four didn't live or have connections to Houston Heights. On August 13th, a grand jury convened to hear the evidence. They listened to testimony for six hours. August 14th, the jury first indicted Henley on three counts of murder and Brooks on one. Bail for each was set at $100,000. By the time the grand jury completed their investigation, Henley was indicted for six murder counts and Brooks for four. Henley was not charged for Coral's death. It was ruled self-defense. So the two, Henley and Brooks, were tried separately. Henley was the first to be trialed. The jury deliberated for 90 minutes and found him guilty for all six counts. He was sentenced to 99 years for each, totaling 594 years. Henley appealed and was given a retrial in December 1978. The June, then June 27, 1979, a jury deliberated again for two hours and came back with the same verdict and the same sentence. Brooks' trial was next on February 27, 1975. Uh, it would last less than a week and the jury deliberated for 90 minutes. He was supposed to be indicted for four counts of murder, but was only brought to trial on one count, the murder of William Ray Lawrence. He was sentenced to life. He
He appealed, but it was dismissed May 1979. Henley is up for parole in October 2025. And Brooks, he died May 28, 2020 from COVID-19 related complications. And there you have it, that is the story of Dean Coral, the Candyman or Pie Piper behind the Houston mass murders. Hit that like and subscribe button and ring the hell out of that little bell. And join me next time for the tale of the Freedom Riders. Until then, this was the good, the bad and the pure evil.